Welcome to the Popcorn Talk Network. For the online broadcast network that features movie discussion, news, and interviews, press one. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. From the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network for movie talk, Alicia Malone with Scott Movie Mance and the Schmoes Know, this is Profile. In-depth spotlights on the greatest filmmakers and artists in motion picture history. Hello, Schmoville! Yes, it feels so good to say that, doesn't it, Alicia? It does. It feels really good to say that. Well, it feels really great because we have a very, very special profile. Episode 21. What are we doing today? Uh, we have had so many requests for us to do a composer, and one in particular. I've had so many tweets, I've had so many Facebook messages, so many emails, which we love, so keep them coming. We're finally doing it. John Williams. Williams. <laughs> <laughs> Man, is even more excited than usual. I'm wearing a Star Wars t-shirt. I actually own this one. I saw it in a vintage shop. I thought it was cool. And I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan, but I love the music. Well, who doesn't love the music for Star Wars? Who doesn't love the music for Superman? I am uh, got the Superman bling shark going on here. Whoop. Of course, the big S could just mean Scott. <laughs> it could mean but Scott. But either way, John Williams is the greatest composer of all time uh-huh. not only did he compose the scores for the greatest movies of all time the best blockbusters of all time but he literally composed the score to our lives didn't he i feel like he is so much a part of my childhood because when you look at all the films he's done they were movies i grew up watching and he's someone that i didn't quite know much about until later on when i started understanding more about how a film is made but i'd say john williams is the most well-known composer because even if people haven't seen the movies they can hear the themes and they will know exactly where they came from that's huge they are instantly recognizable instantly hummable you can whistle to them you can't (laughs) get them out of your head and in some cases the music is even better than the film even the great movies we'll talk about that uh, in a bit but his scores they're so rousing Mm -hmm. they're so moving they really get under your skin. They give you the chills. They They're fist-pumping scores, and they are fully defined scores. And I got to see him, John Williams, at the Hollywood Bowl. He does this every single year, and I've been in L.A. for four years. I've been dying to go and do it. Finally, my best friend and roommate, Maud Garrett, who is a big Star Wars fan, you uh-huh. can see her on Jedi Alliance, she bought me for my birthday a ticket to see John Williams at the Hollywood Bowl live. And I have to say, I got chills. I went there a few years ago. It was the end of August. He does it every year at the end of August. And he played the Star Wars theme, And the lightsabers. Everyone brings their lightsabers and they go up into the air and they're waving about. It's so cool. I remember I was sitting sort of close to the front. Not that close. But when he played the Star Wars theme, I turned around and you see all these like neon lightsabers waving back and forth. He has to do the Star Wars theme when he does his concert. And he's almost 83 years old. Amazing. He's had a career that spanned about six decades. Amazing. And in 2009, he got the National Medal of Arts for being a preeminent composer and conductor whose scores have defined and inspired movie going for decades. And sums him up perfectly. And he has worked with the greatest directors of all time, George Lucas, Alfred Hitchcock, Richard Donner, Chris Columbus, uh, Ron Howard, Oliver Stone, and he's done 27 movies with Steven Spielberg, yeah. who says of, of John Williams, he says, I've always felt that John Williams was my musical rewrite artist. He comes in, sees my movie, rewrites the whole thing musically, and makes it better than I did. And I wanted to give a quick shout out to everyone who's watching live on YouTube right now. You can catch profiles every single week, Tuesday, 3 p.m. LA time. Especially hi to some Aussies out there, Will Jones and Liam Logrand Liam, and yay, Liam Norville. All these people are watching from Australia, so Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Oi, oi, oi. <laughs> well, here's the other thing. If you are watching live, I got to tell you, in any of the 21 episodes we've done so far, none of them have had the sort of reaction on our Facebook page chiming in with the brackets like John Williams. Mm-hmm. I mean, it feels like the our Facebook page should have crashed with <laughs> yeah. all the activity we got when asking people what their favorite John Williams score that. was. I love it. So p- 
please, if you're watching live and you are already not liking our Facebook page, yes. go to our Facebook page right now. Profiles with Malone and Manson. Give it a like. Yeah, give it a red hot like. Uh, I love that people want to get involved in this. This is a very different episode of Profiles because we're going to be speaking about his work and we're going to not just focus on the themes, but also the scores themselves. The complete scores, exactly. Yes. And the reason we're doing that is because, yes, you have the themes to Superman and Jaws and and other things mm-hmm. we'll get to. But when you watch the movies complete, you realize the range that John Williams has in a lot of these films. That is why we are not honoring not just the themes and the motives, but the scores themselves. Yes. And I'll tell you, in doing our segment, and we kept our names for all our oh, segments. yes, our segment titles. Our segment titles are the same. And in doing It's a Wonderful Life, <laughs> I felt like that segment alone could have been three hours long. I know. It is incredible how... How much work, how much unforgettable work John Williams has done from the themes to Lost in Space, Land of the Giants, the Mm -hmm. theme to the NBC News, the Olympics. Uh, It's just kind of crazy. But we whittled it down. Yeah, and then I further whittled it down to try to keep it as tight as possible. So here is the absolute highlights of It's a Wonderful Life, John Williams. Let's see it. John Towner Williams was born on February 8, 1932 in Floral Park, New York, to Esther and Johnny Williams, a jazz percussionist with the Raymond Scott Quintet. Williams moved to Los Angeles in 1948 and went to North Hollywood High School and later attended UCLA. He was then drafted by the United States Air Force, where he conducted music for the Air Force Band. After studying at Juilliard, Williams moved back to Los Angeles, became an orchestrator at the major film studios, and worked with other great film composers like Bernard Herrmann, Jerry Goldsmith, and Henry Mancini. But it was in 1974 with the Sugarland Express that Williams began a long and illustrious relationship with director Steven Spielberg, composing the scores for all of his films except for one, The Color Purple. Williams has been nominated for an Academy Award a whopping 49 times, making him the second most nominated person after Walt Disney. He has won five times while also winning four Golden Globes and 21 Grammys. Where does he store all this stuff? Williams has been married to Samantha Winslow since 1980 and has three children from a previous marriage. What a life. What a life. What a life. I've been watching the live feed YouTube. You can join in on the chat if you're watching live. Otherwise, leave us a comment below if you're watching later on or if you're hearing on iTunes. You can definitely drop us a line there too. People are laughing at me for wearing a Star Wars t-shirt because I'm admittedly not a super Star Wars fan, but I'm wearing it to support John Williams. It's the score. And I got to say, even though I do love Star Wars, yep. I love Star Wars, not as much as Maud and Ken <laughs> and definitely <laughs> and not Christian. as much as Christian who like, he loves Star Wars more than I love Star Trek, which is a bold statement. And that's a lot. That is a lot. But it is the scores, these these incredible scores. And, you know, normally we go back and we watch the movies mm-hmm. because that is our homework, yep. homework we love to do. Yep. But in this case, I mean, I'd seen the films. I just needed to listen to the score. <laughs> yeah. So as you know, I run yeah. a lot. Yep. <laughs> so I, I put the scores on my iPod and I was running to the soundtrack to Close Encounters. So rousing. To, it is rousing. And I just saw on our live feed just now that Will Lambert was running to the soundtrack to The Empire Strikes Back. I do that quite a bit, and I have a great story about that later on. Later on. Later on. Right now, let's get into our right stuff. So our right stuff this week is going to be our favorite theme. Right. Our favorite theme. It doesn't have to be the theme to just the opening credits. It could be a theme from a motive in the film. I skipped First Blood. You skipped First Blood. Oh, how could I do that? Let's back up. Beep, beep, beep. (laughs) Okay, our first blood, our first blood this time is what was the first movie you saw that had a John Williams score? Yeah, this was a tricky one because he's done so many movies. And as I said before, I didn't quite realize who he was till later on in life. But looking at his filmography and everything that he has composed, it would be E.T. Okay. Because that was, yeah. Because you are the Australian Drew Barrymore. I like that you say that. I don't think I look much like her, but I will take that because I love Drew Barrymore. But E.T. was such a such a great part of my childhood, and the music plays into that a lot. Oh, cool, yeah. So much <laughs> magic in that music, and at times it was a little scary as well. It was scary, and that he, John Williams, could mix that sort of uh, uh, suspense and intensity with scores that are just so sweeping and moving mm-hmm. and emotionally gripping is just a testament to his many talents. Yeah. Okay, now my... What was yours? My first blood. Okay, <laughs> we talked 
talked about this before, how my parents were pretty bold in taking little Scotty oh, Nance. They took me to The Shining. They took me to The Shining. <laughs> now, trying to, what can you, can you guess what movie they took me to when I was seven years old? It would have to be something really scary and inappropriate for a child. Like Jaws? Oh, was it Jaws? It was Jaws. Oh, my God. In the summer of 1975. Seven years old. What are they thinking? <laughs> but what I remembered, more than the shark, because, you know, you really didn't see the shark. Bruce. But Bruce, yes, named after Spielberg's attorney. Mm-hmm. What I remembered was the music. Mm. Those two notes, E and F, played back and forth in increasing succession. Dun it, dun it. That is what I remembered about this movie. And that is what made me scared to friggin' death to go into the ocean. Oh, yeah. Still, to this day, you go into the ocean, what do you think about? Yeah, you, you think, think about, about Jaws. the music, so don't go to Australia. Don't go, yes. All, All right. right, well, uh, let's go into our Fast Five now. Oh, yes. With number five, we have... Superman. Now, do you hear that theme just now? Mm-hmm. Superman. Oh, yeah. Now, director Richard Donner famously says that when you hear that theme, you hear the music sing Superman. And he's right. Yeah. This movie came out December 15th, 1978, uh, nominated for four Academy Awards, including Best Original Score, John Williams. What is so great about this theme is that to this day, Alicia, it is still the greatest theme for any superhero movie. Yes. It is fist bumping. It's rousing. It is it everything. Perfect for the character. It is heroic in every sense of the word. Yeah. It's strong. It's inspiring. I love the way it builds with the brass fanfare. It's kind of everything that Superman is. But interestingly, John Williams wasn't even supposed to score this movie. Interesting. Jerry Goldsmith, who worked on pre- uh, Donna's previous film, The, the Omen, Omen. Yeah. and who Williams had worked with as well, he was supposed to score the movie. And I think also the uh, the teaser trailers for Superman, you can hear some of his old work on there. So John Williams stepped in last minute. Last minute. And he delivered. Boy, so he stepped in last minute. And, and then he came up with that thing. One of the best scores, not just for a superhero movie, but for anything. You hear those just few chords and you think of Superman. You yeah. think of and you think of Christopher Reeve yeah. as Superman. Even though Brian Singer went wholesale and reused the theme for Superman, Superman Returns, Returns yeah. you still think of Donner's Superman, of Christopher Reeve as Superman. And I just love how when you're watching the film and the opening credits are going and it just sort of keeps building, it's just hinting and hinting, and then you see the logo. Yeah. It's so great. You're sitting there watching the film. It's exciting. It's so, so exciting. But as a testament to the talent of John Williams, Superman the movie, and the other films we're going to talk about today, the complete scores show his range. Mm. The entire score is not all about the fist-pumping excitement. No. You also have the love theme, the Lois' love theme, theme, which was Can You Read My Mind? Yeah. And what's what's so great about Williams is that, that his main themes always interweave the individual themes for his characters yeah that happened with star wars definitely with superman they're very much tied to the characters that's what i love about it so when you see superman and you hear the theme you think of those two together they're Absolutely. woven in together and same with the other characters that we'll be talking about later on they like the love theme and then there's the fight theme and the theme for krypton as krypton. well well the krypton theme what's great about that is that it feels very olympian it also feels like doomed yeah because you know that krypton is doomed yeah and just generally the way richard donner directed superman in three parts because each part feels like a completely different film with a different tone yeah so john williams scored the movie in three parts because you have the olympian feel of krypton Mm -hmm. you have the sort of douglas sirk melodramatic feel the sweeping feel of of smallville Smallville. and then you have that sort of his girl friday feel metropolis and his girl friday is one of my favorite films of all time so great it's so great the banner banner. yeah the screwball banner between like you know perry white and lois lane and and poor you know uh, jimmy olsen and then clark (laughs) kent but the uh the march of the villains theme Mm -hmm. which is sort of the uh, the bumbling theme that personified of both lex luthor and otis Otisburg, <laughs> Otisburg. But then, when I was when I was listening to the theme again, because I hadn't seen the movie in a while, uh, I was I was swept up by the scene where Clark Kent tells his mother, Ma Kent, mm. that he's leaving to go north. Yeah, and they're standing in the field, and it's this sweeping, epic, moving score that when he hugs her and they both look out 
and the camera pans up, it really just gave me the chills as I'm running. And I'm like <laughs> running by myself around Griffith Park. Yeah. No one else is around. And I'm like getting all like emotional because I'm running and listening to Superman on my headphones. That is so funny. Well, th- that's the great thing about John Williams and his scores is that when you listen to them, apart from the movie, it takes you back to that moment in the movie. You know, like uh, music is so fantastic to, to conjure up memories, mm-hmm. but his music from the scores conjure up scenes. That's true. It's very true. And and of Superman, John Williams said this. One of the essential things was the fact that it was a fun movie. It didn't take itself too seriously. Mm-hmm. And that that is absolutely true. And that's also why, you know, just this outside of John Williams, Superman is still just one of the top two or three best superhero movies of all time. Yeah, the special effects are a bit dated, but it definitely kicked off this whole flurry of superhero films that we have now, and it made $300 million off a $55 million budget, so it did really well. Well, our profilers liked it. Yes. Especially your man, Liam Logrand. Ozzy. Go, Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. Oi, oi, oi. Also, thing. big Beatles fan, Liam, you're the man. This is what <laughs> Liam had to say about Superman. Without a doubt, John Williams' greatest creation is the Superman March, since it symbolizes Superman's story throughout the film. The score begins with a slow build, exactly, that explosion to a grand scale, the th- <laughs> Blending instruments such as violins, cellos, drums, symbolizing Clark Kent's earlier life, building to the moment when he exposes himself to the world as Superman, wearing this color, this S. <laughs> then it becomes a magical and hopeful themed score, showing the mystery behind Superman and the fact that a godlike character can exist. Williams truly did make me believe that a man can fly. Well, Danny B Reviews on YouTube says, I remember when Superman's theme played in the Smallville TV show and I screamed like a little girl. <laughs> I also love how Yora Tao pointed out this is seriously the classiest chat board of all the shows. I think it's one of the classiest chat boards in all of YouTube because there's no hate, there's no trolls. It's about celebration. Because everybody loves these movies and they join in with us and enough with the negativity. You can go get your snark somewhere else. Yes. We're all about having fun. We're having fun fun we are celebrating the film and it's not just about you and me we are it's about everybody it's, it's about, about the profilers, the profilers community. and i love how excited ever. you are today extra yes! excited extra excited well seb lacy says my favorite music score is the superman theme it's so iconic and one of the best superhero themes much like much like christopher reeve as superman the music score gives you hope and is inspiring. It is It is definitely inspiring. And now back to the segment we like to call... The Right Stuff. The Right Stuff. I was getting ahead of myself. So we, as I mentioned before, are focusing on our favorite theme. Theme. It could be a theme, you know, open credits. It could just be, it could just be a motive from a particular scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. So that is a very, very wide range, my friend. It is. What is your right stuff for John Williams? I have to go Jaws. Jaws! I mean, it's so brilliant. As you mentioned, two notes. Two notes. E and F played on a tuba. The way it builds, it it conjures up the images of a shark straight away, and you only hear it every time that the shark is coming. Right. So I love that, and I love the fact that even if someone has never seen Jaws, they know that music. They it's know so the music. Iconic. Because that's a great example of where the theme transcends the film itself. It's so simple, not but that there's really anything effective. wrong with the movie. No, I love the no, movie. I mean, come on, not that there's anything wrong with the it's movie here. Favorites. It's come one on. of your faves. Yes, well, we've talked about this before on our very first episode of Profiles <laughs> on Steven Spielberg. It also reminds me a bit of Bernard Herrmann's score for um, Psycho, right? When he did the with the strings, so simple but really effective. It also reminds me. I'm just going to geek out a little bit here. Take I mean, it away. That's what our show is all about. Take it away. Of Star Trek. There is a classic episode of Star Trek from 1967 called The Doomsday Machine. I've, I've heard of this. Okay, you've heard of it. I love that you've planet heard of Star killer? Trek. The planet killer. Way to go. Wait, give it up right here. Okay. Give it up. I love that you know something about Star Trek. I'm like floored. That's just but in the episode, things. this giant planet killer left over from another galaxy was, was destroying plants, chopping them into rubble, and, and eating the, the for fuel. And it sounded and like it? And it sounded just like Jaws. And that came out in 1967. 67. So before Jaws. Eight years before Jaws. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Well, we'll get to uh, that movie later yes, on. Yes, we will, won't we? Right now, let's talk about the last detail. Where before we, give... we do that, oh. I got to write stuff. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've got to write stuff here. I'm getting I'm ahead of myself here. <laughs> I'm sorry. Where am I today? Okay. okay go for it. My right stuff. My right stuff is from... I'm jet lagged. Is from a Star Wars movie. Yes. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, Alicia Malone flew like a bazillion miles oh to gosh. to Berlin, Berlin and to every Johnny Depp and flew right back just to be here for Profiles. No apologies. Let's give it up here for Alicia Malone, I'm trying to keep it together. I'm trying to... Yeah. Okay. Keep it up for me flying for free. Flying for free. Yes. <laughs> Don't feel to sorry Berlin. for me. <laughs> go for it. Okay, the right stuff for me is The Empire Strikes Back, particularly the asteroid chase. Ooh, I'd love to choice. swipe after Luke goes to Luke and, and R2-D2 are flying off to Dagobah. There's a really gorgeous swipe in the film. You see the uh, the Millennium Falcon coming right at the camera with four TIE fighters flying around it and a huge Star Destroyer coming pew, pew, right pew. just like that. And the scene there, the, the Millennium Falcon is evading four, three star, star Destroyers, four TIE fighters, and then it goes into an asteroid field and it is so exciting the score itself keeps you on the edge of your seat holding your armchair and for the next like seven minutes it is just a wild scene and William's score just really captures sort of the loopy feel of of the Falcon weaving in and out Mm -hmm. of the asteroids as the TIE fighters are getting knocked off one by one it is just such a great frantic scene with brass fanfare and it really just accentuates the fun feel of that scene I wasn't pointing to my boobs then I was pointing to my t-shirt to your t-shirt yes (laughs) now can we get to last let's do it what is it? Hit me up with a last detail. Lots of great details about John Williams' scores. I yep. mean, this is a very, very big career. Hit me up. Okay. Did you know that Williams has the same process every single time? Which is? He writes music with a pencil and paper. No computer. No computer. And he doesn't even begin until he's seen a rough cut of the film. Good to know. So he doesn't do it beforehand, before he, he's seen anything. He sits down, he watches a rough cut, gets out his pencil and paper, and away he goes. Well, he's got, I guess he's too busy to learn how to use a computer. <laughs> yeah, well, he doesn't need it. It's worked for him all this time. Yeah, you know what? If it ain't broke, don't fix don't it. Fix it. Yeah, well, school. did you know that when George Lucas needed a composer for Star Wars, it was Steven Spielberg... Who recommended John Williams? Awesome. Love it. Like, it's like this, like, they're brothers. They're friends. They're friends. They're it's buds. So great. It's worked out quite well. Well, Spielberg and Williams have worked together for half Williams' life, which is pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> well, did you know that John Williams looks at composing music like sculpting? He says you get four or five notes, you take one out, you move it around, you do it a bit more. Eventually, as the sculptor says, in that rock, there is a statue. You just have to find it. I love that. I wouldn't know how to compose a song. Can you imagine being in the room? No. With John Williams as he is composing a score. Like nice. like in the in the studio with a hundred piece orchestra yeah. and the movie is playing on a big screen and you're watching him conduct the orchestra while the movie He's is playing. Watching a master at work. You, that would be like almost almost as cool as seeing the Beatles record a song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I gotta bring it back to the Beatles. <laughs> it's all about the Beatles. Well, did you know, Alicia, that during the nineteen seventies, John Williams was the king of the disaster movie scores. Uh-huh. He wrote the scores, he composed the scores for the Poseidon Adventure, for Earthquake for the towering inferno these were all before star wars wow very impressive very impressive okay so now if i'm correct we're going to fast five number number four four, which which is close encounters of the third third kind okay there might be a little bit of controversy with this movie a lot of people were chiming in that et should be in our fast five and it probably should yeah but here's why I pulled rank and went with Close <laughs> Encounters of the Third Kind. Go for it. It is, yes, it is one of my top two favorite movies ever. Mm-hmm. But I just felt like comparing apples to apples, and you could do that because they're both Spielberg movies, they're both John Williams scores. I felt like the score for Close Encounters, it felt more epic. There was more, there was more uh, range to it. Mm-hmm. And just like Jaws made a big impact with its two-note theme, so did Close Encounters with five. Those five notes being B-flat, C, A-flat, octave lower A-flat, 
and E flat. Do 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 do. Oh yeah, <laughs> I want to learn that. The yeah, do 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 do. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure people out there will uh, will want ET, or maybe you agree with us on Close Encounters. Leave us a comment below on this YouTube channel if you're watching right now. But I love the fact that this came out the same year as Star Wars, and right. they're both sci-fi films, but they couldn't be more different. Close Encounters, the score perfectly matched the film because at times it was scary. At times there was a touch of magic. Definitely. And at times it was really rousing and it made you feel really good. So you've got the, the fear of the aliens mixed with that sense of, yeah, magic, the, the first communication. The sublime beauty. When the humans and the, and the aliens are communicating mm-hmm. through lights and music, yeah. it is it is such a it is so beautiful to me. It always gets under my skin and just moves me. No matter how many times I see this movie, mm-hmm. Ca- came out uh, November sixteenth, nineteen seventy seven. Of course, directed by Spielberg. Uh, John Williams was nominated for best original score, but he lost to himself himself <laughs> for Star Wars. That's pretty amazing. If you're gonna lose, John Williams is gonna lose to anybody. It may yeah. as well be to himself, so, and it may as well be for Star Wars. Apparently, Spielberg wanted five notes specifically for that communication. And some people say that's because Hello has five letters. Oh, interesting. But Williams wanted seven or eight. And then I think he gave... Uh, what hundreds of options they've had they had more more than 300 different options and while there was no one that particularly stood out like a eureka moment there was one that they kind of kept back going back to yeah and it was the one that we are are familiar with now but it's like, you, know, like, like you the, said when i wish upon a star and that is but, used yeah throughout the other things exactly right? it's, it's used throughout in. the themes but because like in the beginning of the film remember richard dreyfus is like saying oh kids let's go see pinocchio yeah so it, it's just the way that he interweaves those themes like in it. with other motives it's really extraordinary but close encounter it's it's an epic theme it's varied it's ambitious uh compared to et which is definitely moving and intimate mm-hmm. but you have like you said this has some scary moments particularly the scene where barry is kidnapped barry. and the score barry barry, barry! The, the scene where he's kidnapped the score that goes along with that scene especially when when all the appliances in the house yeah. come on and come scary. to life it's such a frantic uh, chaotic scene, uh, score, mm-hmm. but then you have the beginning, the very beginning of the film during the opening credits when it's just a very, it, it, it sort of comes in very, very slowly as the opening credits and as the orchestra builds and it breaks and suddenly you're in the sandstorm, but it like jolts you awake and it, <laughs> it, it grabs your attention and it holds your attention until the mothership takes off at the very, very end of the film. But then the scene with the wild signals when the mm. humans are communicating with the mothership. And then it goes faster and faster. It goes fast. It's like playful. Yeah. You know, it's like fun until fun. it just sort of stops. And, and it's like, uh-oh, did I say something wrong here? <laughs> but even the light show itself, like when Dreyfus and Dylan are sort of hiding behind the rocks and they're watching the little spaceships uh, hover around the encampment, it is it is so beautiful i mean that was really the first movie that looked at alien contact without aliens destroying the earth yeah Yeah, it was a good thing i like it you have convinced me don't worry you've convinced me that it's worthy of our number four worthy of our fast five and did you know that even though williams and spielberg had worked together before and they'd won an oscar for their previous collaboration he had to spielberg had to really convince at the studio and Williams had to convince the studio that Williams should be on board this one because he was working on Star Wars at the same time and they wanted to make sure he could give his 100% focus to Close Encounters and he said don't worry I got this I got this well of Close Encounters Close Encounters is actually one of John Williams's favorite Spielberg movies. He says it's more than just cellophane going through the projection machine. It had a real kind of life to it. And nice. that is why that is one of my favorite movies. Well, there wasn't much reaction to. <laughs> but there was from our good friend Rachel Cushing. Oh, uh, yay. I always count on Rachel Cushing to come to my defense. <laughs> she says of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the score. I'm so happy you guys will be talking about the score from Close Encounters. Though I suppose I should have known since it's one of Scott's favorite 
favorite movies. <laughs> done, done, and done. It should be near the top of your list for those iconic notes alone, those five notes. But I sometimes think people forget about the rest of the music in the movie. It is just as amazing as it combines Williams' signature strings-led enchanting quality with a more eerie and driving feel that helps keep the viewer on the edge of their seat. But of course, it is the track Wild Signals that conjures up the themes <laughs> and feel of this amazing movie. Thank you, Rachel. Well, Christian disagrees. Christian from Schmoes. No, oh, he's no. watching right now on YouTube. He says, Alicia, I love the Mance Man, but I think it should rank at number six. Oh, <laughs> no, no. Darth Harloff, how could you? Tyler Myers says, liked Close Encounters the first time I saw it, loved it even more the second time, and now own the Blu-ray. A few people here saying that they had never seen, they have never seen Close Encounters, so oh. recommend you checking it out. If Wait, you haven't, can we do more than recommend? Okay. Insist. Insist. You have to see Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It is just such a great, amazing movie. Or you know what? I will. I will literally fly to whoever's never seen it. I will bring my <laughs> Blu-ray with me, and I will be your director's commentary <laughs> watching this movie. Okay, that's my promise. The that challenge, is my promise. Challenge has been set there. Okay, so uh, we're going into our quiz show. But I worry that um, you're going to know the answer to my question because I think you already mentioned it. Well, what is it? Let's hear it. (laughs) True or false? True or false. Williams composed the score to Hitchcock's final film. Uh, I'm going to say that's true. (laughs) The family plot. That is true. Yeah, you mentioned that he'd worked with Hitchcock. The family plot in 1976. And of course, being a Hitchcock fan, I just love the fact that these two worked together. That is so cool that John Williams and Alfred Hitchcock worked together. Love it. Well, here's my question for you. You ready for this? Yes. John Williams composed the scores for all of Spielberg's movies, not including Duel. That was a TV movie. Mm -hmm. Except for The Color Purple. I thought that was going to be the answer. I was like, I know this one. Who composed the score for The Color Purple? Oh was it, see, aha, you thought <laughs> I was going to say, which one was it? Yeah. But no. So who can, who composed the score for The Color Purple? Was it Alan Silvestri, Jerry Goldsmith, Quincy Jones, or James Horner? Oh, I have no idea. Think about it. I'm going to say Alan Silvestri. Oh, Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones, you are right. Alicia, you are right. You are really good at this. Give it up. You mouthed you, that to me. I did not. I had something in my teeth. Oh, my gosh. Now, I've never seen you so excited, Scott, when it comes this to breakfast. This is profile. so fun. This it's is so, so much fun. fun. We're doing something a little different here. Something a little different. And we are waiting for a special guest to call in, which is really, really exciting. Hopefully he will. We're just waiting to get the thumbs up from JTE. But for now, moving on to our Fast Five at number three, we have... Gee. <laughs> I could listen to that all day. I wanted to keep it going. Jaws. Jaws released June 20th, 1975, directed by Spielberg. Uh, this movie is nominated for four Academy Awards, one, three, including Best Original Score for John Williams. This was very, the, very impressive. This was the film that really launched the superstar collaboration between Spielberg and Williams, the power couple of cinema. And it also changed the face of cinema forever. We spoke about this in our Spielberg episode, that it was the first ever summer movie blockbuster. First ever blockbuster. They called it a blockbuster because people lined around the block, yeah. breaking it, busting it. A Spielberg said of Jaws, John Williams became the shark when the shark failed to show up because of mechanical difficulties. <laughs> well, it makes the fake shark so much scarier. It does, because you don't see it. You don't and see it. And the theme, it. the theme is that because you don't see the shark, yeah. the theme is the shark. And there's a theory that the, that theme, the one we just heard, represents the heartbeat of the shark Ooh. as the shark is closing in on its prey and it, it the, as you know the motive sort of gets faster and faster mm-hmm. until it just like breaks into a panic when it attacks and that's a great theory because it just makes sense doesn't it, it? does make sense and a big shout out to tommy johnson who tommy played johnson. those two notes on yes. the tuba Apparently, when Spielberg first heard that theme, Williams played it for him on the piano and he laughed because he thought it was too primitive. He wanted something a bit more intricate for the shark, but Williams convinced him, no, this is perfect. And then eventually Spielberg was like, yes. And of course, it's now one of the most famous themes ever. 
Well, it is, again, it is instantly recognizable. Yeah. Uh, you said it yourself. Even if people don't see the movie, they know the theme. In fact, the theme has been used as a spoof <laughs> in right. other films like Airplane. Airplane. Uh, wait Do you a need minute. to get that? Who could this be? Like, why don't you talk while I <laughs> okay. get this? Scott Hello. organizes the uh, guests, so I think Hi. this could be a, uh, a publicist calling in, but we'll just keep talking. I love Jaws. Jaws is one of my favorite four, films two, four, from Spielberg. Two, just ignore five, three, that. Zero, um, five, zero, I also, the score for the film is fantastic, not just the theme. I love the hey, Ben Gardner's boat and the shark cage. This is live. This is all happening live. Matt's okay, is trying to organize this. Just a minute, keep talking. Okay, I'm, I'm going to try to keep talking. Um, we've got a very exciting guest who's about to call in, and I'm really excited. And well, I'll read out some of these comments while uh, Matt sorts this out. Mark Tordai says, God, I love Jaws. I love movies where you don't see the gore. It's the psychological aspect that terrifies me. Uh, Rachel Cushing says, this is a tough list. That is very, very true. And uh, <laughs> people are laughing at Matt's trying to organize this. Let's go to our comments from Schmoville. Joe McGurley, I can never get your name right, and you have such great comments. says, while I may not listen to it as often as some of the other scores, the theme from Jaws made the biggest impact on me. Movie scores are supposed to accompany the action and enhance the viewing experience, but that did more than that. It's like the villain's understudy, there to replace it in the several scenes where you don't see the shark. The music is the only perception of the dire threat, which is every bit as haunting and chilling or perhaps perhaps even more so than The Great White itself. And Mark Tordai, who I just read out on YouTube, also left us a note on our Facebook page, Facebook with my profiles with Malone and Matt's. Now Matt's is really trying to sort this out. He says, all it took was a few notes at the beginning of a movie to set in motion a film about a shark, which would lead to one of the biggest blockbusters in movie history. John Williams' score for Jaws is nothing more than a haunting nightmare. Williams pioneered an ominous style to his score, and it is one that is still being used in horror films to this day. His work on Jaws not only set the level of suspense in this film, but with the limited amount of time it actually appeared on screen. Williams gave the mechanical shark an added layer of life and terror. Now you can see that this uh, this show is just run by three people. Yes, and uh, <laughs> that's the beauty of it. It's like anything goes when we do profiles. I know. You know. Sometimes the shows go really, really smooth, and sometimes we have a little snafu when you it's have a call-in number and the call-in number is not working. Oh, that's a shame. But you know what? What I want to say about John Williams yeah. is that in addition to knowing when to score and do something really sweeping for the right moment, I love that he also knows exactly when to not score a scene. Yeah, when to embrace the silence. He embraces the silence. For example, the scene in Jaws, like, that's so funny. <laughs> uh, the scene in Jaws when Quint is getting eaten alive by the shark. Yeah. Okay, there's no score to that. Yeah. It just, you don't need one. No. It just, it just goes right to it. Scary enough. And I'm sure Christian will love that I'm pointing this out, that initially, when Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader start fighting on Cloud City in the carbon freezing chamber, there's no score. Yeah. There's no score. I mean, there's a little bit when they break, when they move out of the, the uh, carbon chamber into other areas of Cloud City, and especially after... Uh, Darth Vader chops off his arm oh, yeah. and does the big reveal that I am your father. You need to score for that. Mm -hmm. But then there's also the big reveal during the um, the, uh, the the scene in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah. I know. During the scene in Close Encounters of the Third Kind when uh, the mothership is rising from behind Devil's Tower. Mm. All you hear is the rumble of that giant spacecraft rising from behind. And then, of course, you know, you, it turns over and then you've got the music. We're going to move on since yeah. you already read. Right? I already read the comments. Um, so, yeah, people are just uh, guessing who uh, who is going to be calling in. And no, it's not John Williams himself. No, it is not John Williams. I wish it but was. But as soon Trent. as Phil fixes this, yeah. which he's going to do any second. Right, Phil? Give me a thumbs up that this will be fixed very soon. Yeah. Uh, he's not giving me a thumbs so, up. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on. Where are we at now? Oh, the others. Yeah. So there are so many great themes and scores from John Williams that we couldn't possibly fit them into just five. So in the others. 
others, we're going to talk about some that deserve a little highlighting, like... Like... E.T. E.T., the extraterrestrial, came out in 1982. John Williams won his fourth Oscar. Okay, now we're going to show the love to E.T., the extraterrestrial. (laughs) So many great moments that were scored with unforgettable motives, like the magic of Halloween, which is also known as the ride across the moon. I know that Maud Garrett, my roommate, loves Jewel of the Fates... From the prequels of Star Wars, she always plays that one, and she's getting ready for Jedi Alliance. Uh, also, you have to talk about Jurassic Park. Well, there's two themes to Jurassic Park. But I love that. There are dinosaurs, there are everywhere. That's what I sing to That's it. what you sing to mm-hmm. You made up your own words to Jurassic Park? Yeah. Why not? Why not? And then you also have the other theme to Jurassic Park, which is the actual Adventure Park theme. Yes. That's pretty cool. And Star Wars, the main theme for Star Wars? The main theme. How can you not? You can't have the Empire Strike back without Star Wars. Yeah. And that main theme, when you're sitting there watching it for the first time, I mean, like it was like you could feel the, the wind blowing in your hair as the music was blaring from the speakers. But the same year, the same year as Jurassic Park mm-hmm. was Schindler's List. Mm. And that you can have something adventurous and sweeping like Jurassic Park to something as emotionally devastating, but still, still something filled with serene grace and delicate beauty like Schindler's List. Well, I love that everyone's working really hard to try to make this happen with our guest. Uh, the thing that I like about Profiles is that it is literally three of us. It is the three of us. It it's is you, you, me, and, and JTE. And, JTE and now we booth. got Phil in the boot trying to fix this and problem Phil's so we can get our special well. guest to call in. Guys, what are we looking at? Thumbs up soon? Yeah? Well, yeah. It's looking like it's good. It's looking like it's uh, going to be good. I don't want to lose this guy uh, that we have. And but- uh, well, Christian is writing on the chat board. How about Skype? Well, that's what we're trying to fix. We're so trying, to, trying fix, to fix, yes. Skype. But Jaff94 also says, isn't the NBC Sunday Night Football theme composed by Williams? I have no idea, but I know that he did the NBC News theme and also the Olympic theme. Oh, and okay. JT says it's a thumbs up on the Skype working again. Working so. again. So take it away. I'm going to call my friend back. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, uh... Let me have a look. Oh, people are just guessing who the Hi, guest will set. be. But Call Liam Norville says, again, Home Alone has a great score. I think that is an underrated score of his. And Rachel Cushing says, The Hymn to the Falling from Saving Private Ryan is one of my favorite themes from Williams. So haunting and amazing use of chorus. The lovely possum says, Jurassic Park, please. Yeah, I do love the theme to Jurassic Park. I love that when you go to Universal Studios, sometimes you can hear the theme to yeah. Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. Well, how fitting is it to be at Universal Studios hearing the theme to another theme park, yeah. Jurassic Park. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, when but you go on that ride. One more one more theme that I love is AI artificial intelligence. Yes. This is a theme, and a movie itself is very misunderstood. I love AI artificial intelligence. I think it's Spielberg's most misunderstood masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And the it's scores. The Kubrick connection. Uh, the Cooper connection. Now, how appropriate that that movie got sort of like mixed reviews when it came out, but now it's like been revisited mm-hmm. and it's appreciated so much more. And but- also, we mentioned the Star Wars theme. I have to say, the, the best thing was hearing that theme on the new. Uh, episode 7 trailer but hold that thought <laughs> because we are back we are running and we are so proud to have joining us on our profile special on John Williams we are joined by director Richard Donner from Superman the movie Mr. Donner you are on profiles with Alicia and Scott thank you thank you Thanks so much for calling in to talk to us. We love John Williams' work. And having worked with him, can you sum up why he is the greatest film composer of all time and and what is it like to watch him work? Well, uh, first question, first question you're going to have to have John answer that. I don't know why he's the best. (laughs) You know, because the whole idea of motion picture music is not just an entity it's the music is such a part of the rest of the picture the visual the dialogue the sound effects it's all got to complement each other and uh, one can't overpower the other and um, a lot of times music will take over a scene and you're very 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 conscious of it the way I look at it is um you almost shouldn't hear the music until the second time you go to the movie. Hmm. Oh, interesting. We all do. Because the mo- it should create 
the mood you you want if you want. We're illusionists, and that music is part of of another illusion. So if you want laughter or tears or some kind of a human reaction, you're hoping the music's helping. Well, how did so I, how did how did me? yeah how did John Williams come to compose the score for Superman, and why did he have to do it sort of in record time? You know, it's a confusing story. It's a long time ago. The way I, you got to excuse me, I've got the L.A. crud. I've <laughs> had it for a, a, a month now. But um, the um, we were shooting in in Canada, and we were given a, a delivery date, and we had to deliver the film. And um, my first choice, honestly, was Jerry Goldsmith because I had just done a movie with him called The Omen and it had won an Academy Award for Jerry and it was good reason I mean he was really a great composer so I asked him to do Superman and he said swell and then we had a scheduling problem where um, we were delivering earlier and and uh, he was not going to be available well, I can't say my second choice, but my other choice would have been John Williams all along, and so we called John, and he was available. But And he very nicely uh, read the script, turned around and said, yes, I'd like to do it. Then, to add confusion, we got another scheduling problem, and we lost John, and we went back and got Jerry. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then again at the last minute, scheduling again, and John caught the coin. And thank goodness he did. Yeah. Yeah, thank goodness indeed. Wow. Well, what do you remember about the time when you first heard the theme for Superman that Williams had come up with? Sorry, say again? What what can you tell us about uh, hearing the theme for Superman that Williams came up with for the first time? Um. Without sounding corny, it was emotional because um, John had seen the uh, the movie, the rough cut. He had come over to England. We had spotted the picture. Spotting is when you run the movie with the composer and you say, "I'd love to have some music here, and this is what I would like it. To, well, I hope it'll do to that particular scene." And you do it with every composer the same way usually, and. Um, and they go off, and you're waiting and waiting, but you're doing many other things to picture, and finally they show up. And so we went out to a major recording studio, and we put the picture up on the screen, and there was a London Symphony Orchestra and John Williams, and the first scene he decided to score was the opening credits. And... Um, I don't know if you remember in the picture, the credits were these wonderful um, credits zooming from the sky and across camera. It was done by Richard Greenberg, who was a genius at um, titles. And uh, the titles were really powerful. And I was thinking, how the heck is the music going to hold up to those titles? And the orchestra starts to play. And as each name and credit came up, John hit them beautifully, and it was just great. And, but then all of a sudden, Superman came up. Uh. John Williams made a orchestra of, I guess, 100 people. Actually, those instruments said the word Superman. Mm. Superman, it was brilliant. What was my reaction? I was on my knees. Oh, wow. It's just, when hearing you say that, I will never be able to hear the theme without hearing the theme say the word Superman. I mean, that is just such a great perspective, and you're, you're absolutely right. But there were so many uh, – just to demonstrate John Williams's range, that you can have the sweeping, fist-pumping score, the theme for Superman, and then the beauty of the love theme, Can You Read My Mind?, and, of course, the March of the Villains, which is sort of the bumbling uh, uh, villain theme. I mean, like, just uh, what were your impressions when you heard those themes as well, that they were going to be in the same movie as the sweeping Superman theme? I'll, I'll just abbreviate that. I'm, 
Oh, well, just like, what did you think when you first heard the love theme, Can You Read My Mind? Yeah. What did I think of that? Yep. It was, you know, it was a strange movie um, because it was the first of its kind and it was kind of a a crossover and yet it had to have its own sense of verisimilitude. It had to be honest. It had to be real. And how are you going to do a, a song of them flying because people <laughs> don't fly? But Superman does. And so it had its sense of reality and and John came up with that can you read my mind and it was instead of some soaring piece it was this wonderful subjective piece of music of a woman uh, romantically involved with this wonderful stranger than earth character and if he could do all these things could he read her mind could he know what she was thinking at that very moment it was mind blowing hmm. I desperately fell in love with it as a matter of fact we at one point, we all tried. We tried to have Margot sing it. Margot Kidder is a super wonderful special actress. But she's not a great singer, and um, she'll kill me for this. <laughs> and rather than than bringing somebody else, and we just decided, well, right then and there, you know what? Don't sing it. Um, say it. Say it like you're you're talking to them. And uh, for its time, it worked. Would I do it again today? No, I wouldn't have to. I wouldn't have the lyrics in the film. But um, mm. oh, interesting! Worked, and I loved it. And it's all part of the love of that movie. Well, do you remember the first time Christopher Reeve heard the theme for Superman? Did he what? Do you remember the first time Christopher Reeve heard the theme for Superman? Yes, I do. Yes, well, I do. He was, yeah. Standing right next to me uh, at the recording studio in outside London, as was the editor Stuart Baird, as was everybody involved in the picture, because we just took a break from the stage, the editing we were doing. We all ran out to the recording studio, so we all were there, and it was like everybody got some emotional burst at the exact same time. Mm. Of course, when Christopher saw his name. And it's Reeve, and he saw Christopher Reeve on the screen for the first time in his life. Wow! Remember that was his first movie. Yeah. And uh, it, it, I, it brought tears to not only his eyes but our eyes. Wow, that is so fantastic. Yeah, it was dynamic. Mm. I mean, you know, just because Superman really did launch the modern superhero movement that is obviously going very, very strong today. But why do you think, I mean, this is certainly how we feel, but why do you think the theme for Superman still reigns supreme as the greatest theme for any superhero movie? I mean, really, it, it is. It's the one that you remember the most. Well, it's nice to hear somebody else say it, because I hope you say it. <laughs> um, I, I love it. I mean, I'm, obviously, I'm, it's my picture I'm involved with it. I love it desperately. I think it, because it's such a special piece of music, John, excuse me, John caught every nuance of the film. And the theme is all in the film, in the theme. If you run that, you can take that theme and steal it throughout the movie, and which we did, by the way. And there are pieces of it throughout the film. Mm. It, it stands up as just a classic piece of film, a piece of music. And, um, um, it stood what? How many years now? I, 1978. Yeah. And uh, it's still, as you say, it's it is a classic theme of a motion picture. It's John Williams. He's a classic guy. And um, when he delivers something, he doesn't deliver something until he, I don't know whether he does it just instinctively, and it pours out of him, or he sits there with pen and paper for days and molds over and the piano but whatever method John Williams has in wow. hearing a musical score it's quite extraordinary 
Well, extraordinary is a word that I would like to say about this interview of Richard Donner. Thank you so, so much for calling in a couple of times before finally getting (laughs) through. You You are truly a Superman, and we hope you feel better. I mean, there's definitely something going around, but really, we are grateful for your time. Thank you so much for calling in to Profiles. This is our first show where we focused on a composer, and what better way, what better person than John Williams, indeed. Thank Thank you you again. Thank you so much. Thank you both. Have a Thank great day. All. Thank you. You too. Whew. <laughs> we did it. Oh, my man. God. My Thank you gosh. so much for setting that up. Holy moly. Pulling all the strings. Wait, wait, wait. Right here. Superman. Superman. And then, you know, I don't think anyone could tell. I was pretty seamless holding it together. Not really. But that was cool. It was worth it. That was worth it. I mean, you know what? This is live. This is live, ladies and gentlemen. This is what happens. This is what happens when you have one, two, three people producing this show on site. JT. Dude, you were the man. You were the man. You were the man. Dude, get over here. Come over here right now. Right now. <laughs> come over here right now. on in the booth, man. Dude, come oh. over here right now. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> yeah. profilers, give it up for this guy right here. JTE, this is our guy. I love you. I love you. I love you, man. I love you, man. All right. Yes, let's move on. Cool. But before we move on, I want to give a shout out to the brackets that happen on our the Facebook brackets. page. Yes. So Facebook page is Profiles with Malone and Mance, and we have some great profilers who every week take charge of these brackets, and then everyone plays along. It's so much fun. So this week, thank you to Rachel Cushing, Liam Logrand, Dan Skip Allen, and Joshua Willingham, who did a 16-seed bracket of the best movies. Okay. So Indiana Jones versus Jurassic Park was the final. So the best complete score this was, not just the themes, but the score. Indiana Jones won. Indiana Jones won? For best score. And then Rasika did an eight-seed Star Wars bracket for um, the themes. So you had the Force theme, the binary sunset, versus the main theme. The Force theme won from that. And then you had Force theme versus the Indiana Jones theme, and the Force theme won. So you had Indiana Jones won one, and Star Wars won another? Yes. how appropriate, because now we're getting into the top two of our Fast Five. Which I think will be those kind of things. And coming in at number two on our Fast Five is... <laughs> See, another fist-pumping score from John Williams. Raiders, Raiders of the, of the Lost, Lost Star came out on June 12, 1981, directed by Steven Spielberg. John Williams was nominated for his 16th Oscar for Best Original Score. What a theme right there, the Raiders March. Yeah, I love this theme because the theme defines the character of Indiana Jones. It's heroic, it's adventurous, it's fun. And Spielberg wanted the music to remind people of the Saturday morning serials from the 1930s and have that adventurous spirit, also have that playful spirit. And it's got a bit of a throwback feeling in there too. Absolutely it does, yes. Yeah, I love this theme because once again it is so tied to the character so it actually doesn't come in at the beginning of the movie they have the intro first yeah the intro is very sort of slow slow but then when the theme kicks in that's when the movie kicks it up to a whole nother gear Again, level. just like Superman, this is another score where you hear those notes, those first few notes. Dun, 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 dun. And you know straight away. You know it's Indiana Jones. Yeah. Adventure equals Indiana Jones. <laughs> like you said, it embodies the character. It's simple. It's direct. But it's fun. It's pulpy. Throwback, like you said. Absolutely heroic. And John Williams, when he was trying to come up with the score, he had two different versions. And he didn't know which one to use. And Spielberg so said, said, use, use both. both. So you <laughs> I mean, Great. The theme and the bridge all together. And the, there's, again, another score, another complete score that demonstrates John Williams's range. Because just like you have the fist-pumping score of the the, the Raiders March, March yeah. you have the intimate score of Marion's theme. And this is the emotional heart of this movie. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to, to Marion's theme... At first, it sort of sounds like it's going to be the theme for Han Solo and Princess Leia from The Empire Strikes Back, but it's not. It becomes its own theme. And then you have one of my favorite themes of all in that movie is the one in the map room 
when oh, yeah. when he goes down and uses the staff of Ra and the mm-hmm. headpiece yeah. to find the resting place of the Ark. And all he's doing is standing there, just waiting for the sun to shine through the staff, the, the headpiece there. And the score is so mystical and magical and hints at the power Mm-hmm. of the arc itself yeah it's really really great and then you have the the scene where indiana jones goes chasing after the arc oh yeah one by one knocking the nazis off the truck it just keeps going forever and forever i know the score is such a big part of this movie and i love that williams says about the theme the sequence of notes has to sound just right so it seems inevitable like it's always been with us it was something that i chiseled away at for a few weeks to find the correct musical shape and those little simple Simplicities are often the hardest things to capture. The whole score for this movie is playful and fun, just like the character. Just like the character. Mm-hmm. And Cole Boone, one of our favorite profilers, says, John Williams' score of Raiders of the Lost Ark is a great and critical aspect of the grand adventure of that film. Without Williams' iconic score, who is to say that the film would be as memorable as it is today? That's a good point. <laughs> uh, from the main theme to the Ark chase, I will always find myself humming these great scores to the greatest action-adventure film of all time. Boom, Cole Boone. Well, Hisham El Sayed, who's watching on YouTube, I don't know where you are right now, but it's, you say it just turned midnight and that you're tired, but uh, you've got work tomorrow. Sorry, but um, stay with us. Stay with us. <laughs> don't. We're just getting to the good stuff here. Will Lambert says, Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark is a movie about the great adventure. It even says so on the poster. The entire score symbolizes the themes of the movie, each of the characters, the action, and of course the story. It enhances the viewing experience like every score should. That brings us to number one. Number one in on our, our fast, fast five, five which, which is... Empire Strikes, Empire Strikes Back. Yes, Christian Harloff. You must be so proud. We're putting a number one movie, a Star Wars movie, not Star Wars itself, but The Empire Strikes Back because just like Empire was a superior sequel over Star Wars, the score for Empire was superior over the original Star Wars mm. because of that theme we just heard, the Imperial March. At this point, can you imagine a Star Wars movie without the Imperial March? No, I can't. And I love that theme. It's it's so full of vengeance. It, it conjures up evil. Evil. It is absolutely evil and once again it's so tied to the character of Darth Vader that it's hard to think of one without the other well George Lucas said this about John Williams' score for Star Wars the Star Wars movies in general he said the score is a very very important element to the success of Star Wars without somebody as brilliant as Johnny that's John Williams uh, doing the scores I don't think they would have been as successful as they were the score is a major element equal to the script and the cast and that is absolutely true and you hear a little bit of it in the prequels with Anakin theme yeah sort of so i like how it's been hinted at but in in empire strikes back everyone has a theme first of all you have the holdover themes from the first movie you had mm-hmm. luke's theme and leia's theme but then you have a love theme for han and leia which is moving in the right spots but is also very it has a lot of melancholy and dread as it builds to the point when han gets frozen in carbonite and she goes, I love you. Yeah, I, says, know. I know. But then you have the theme that I, I mentioned earlier, the theme for the asteroid chase. Yeah. But also the battle, the battle of Hoth. Mm-hmm. This was an inventive scene, an inventive battle scene because it didn't take place in space. It had these walkers that moved like elephants and the snow speeders sort of swinging around it to, to knock them down. But it was on this ice planet and the entire motive for that scene is just as epic as the battle scene itself. Well, it's pretty amazing when you look at the time that this film came out and the period of life of uh, John Williams because and all the work he did. Because during the 70s and early 80s, it's when he did Superman, Raiders, and Empire. Yeah, he and was Star like uh, in the zone, as they say. It's amazing. Amazing. I mean, and listen, like when I was growing up in Philadelphia and I heard these themes and I saw these movies, and I'm going to bring it back to the Beatles again because just like my parents had the Beatles in the early 60s that sort of changed their lives, these movies, these themes changed mine. In fact, you want to hear a funny story? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I run. I run marathons. Yeah. And on August 6, 2008, I ran the San Francisco Marathon. Wow. The very next day, I covered the junket in 
in, at Skywalker Ranch for the Clone Wars movie, and oh, I got yeah. to sit down with George Lucas. Cool. So this is a day after I ran 26.2 miles <laughs> in four hours and 31 minutes, oh by the way, which at the time was my record. Yeah, energy. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that was really, really cool. So I sit down. I'm getting mic'd up, and I said – Sitting across from George Lucas, and like, we've interviewed a lot of people. It's yeah. our job, but it's George Lucas. That's so awesome. I'm like, oh my God. So I said, hey, so I ran the San Francisco Marathon yesterday. And he goes, oh, congratulations. <laughs> and I said, when I got to the point where I really needed a boost, I put my headphones on and I put on the soundtrack to The Empire Strikes Back, and that got me through the rest of the marathon. What did he say? He smiled and said, oh, that's very cool. Congratulations. <laughs> Which is probably as much as you'll get from George Lucas. So that's awesome. I'll take it. Yeah, I would take I'll that I'll take for it. Sure. I'm combining running and Star Wars yeah. to George Lucas. One of, one of, that's a very, very cool moment. But like you said, Empire Strikes Back, the score is is also like the movie, I feel. I, I prefer Empire Strikes Back yeah. over the first film. And the score is, is dark and it's complex and it's in- intricate, but I just, the Imperial March, we're hearing that live at the Hollywood Bowl, that is something that I will remember forever. Absolutely. And the Imperial March, and but everyone else in that movie, like Yoda has a theme. Yeah. Lando has a theme. Even Boba Fett has a theme. Yeah. And as you're listening to the ending credits and you hear... Uh, you know the Star Wars theme, and then it weaves the it weaves Yoda's theme in, and then it weaves Han and Leia's theme in, and then of course you hear the Imperial March, and it comes back to Star Wars. Mm. But the way Williams composes that whole score, seamless, it's seamless. It all yes. fits perfectly. Yes, this I have to say, you want to know why I'm so energetic, Alicia? Why this was a fun show to do? Wasn't it was it? really fun. This was really fun. We even had some melodrama ourselves during oh, this no. show. I feel like it's really hot in Woo! here. Woo! That but was a scary time. That was scary time, but. It worked. We it got really it. Worked. We had a great interview with Richard Donner, the director of Superman the movie about John Williams. Yes. And next week, well, next week next we're going to be taking a break. Well, we're going to be at Sundance. Yes, we are. But I didn't want to leave uh, leave the profilers and leave our feed empty. So I'm thinking. What do you think about this? I'm thinking that because we've had so many great guests. I yes. mean, Richard Donner is just one of many that we've had. Should we do a kind of a best of the guests kind of special episode? A special episode of Profiles, a recap. Yeah, we could edit together some of the, the highlights from That's all the guests idea. we've done so that we can have it all as one video. We deliver that next week because then the week after... The week after, who do we have in two weeks on Profiles? I'm sorry, Wilson! Wilson, I'm sorry. Wilson the Volleyball. (laughs) Tom Tom Hanks. Hanks. (laughs) Yes, Tom Hanks will be two weeks on Profiles from now. Next week, you can catch our best. Yes, next week, you can catch our best of the guests episode of Profiles. And we will be at Sundance, Malone and Mance at Sundance. Yes, I love the sound of that. We can't wait. We're going to see lots of movies. We'll be talking about those in other places, maybe on Profiles as well. Mm -hmm. But until two weeks from now... Bye! (laughs) (laughs) From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, Christian Harloff, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of its owners or principals.